You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation brought to you by Go Wild. Go Wild is one of the fastest growing social media applications for your mobile device. It's an app, right? And similar to Facebook or Instagram, it is a place for outdoor enthusiasts to meet and share their passion for the outdoors. So for more information, go to the Google Play Store or wherever you download your apps and download the Go Wild app. Or you can visit timetogowild.com for more information. Let's get outside. It's time to go wild. Welcome to the For Love of the Land podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith and Matt Dye. Each week, we're interviewing guests from across America. They all have one thing in common. They all are tied to the land. So if you're like us and you love all things land, welcome home. Hey guys, Adam here, Matt here, and we are tired, very tired. <laughs> we've been road warriors for the last month and a half. Yeah, um, we've been on the road for a while, but um, we've been here in uh, Nashville, I guess, in Tennessee, and now we're in Kentucky in a hotel room in Bowling Green as we prepare for a consult tomorrow. Um, to give you guys an idea where we've been, we've been, uh, you guys knew about our consult in West Virginia, our consults in Ohio, and then yep. West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Indiana, um, Indiana, came home uh, for a few days, and then we did, uh, I don't even remember what local, we did. Local consultation in Southwest Missouri. And, and Alabama. In Alabama. I did a consult there in Alabama while you did one in Missouri. And um, then we hit the road for Nashville. That's right. And uh, we've and we, been in at the National Wild Turkey Federation yep. National Convention. Um, they're in Nashville at the Gaylord Opryland for three, four days. And now we are here in southern Kentucky as we prepare for a consult. And we'll come go home after that. And then we'll stay home for a few days and then head to Iowa to work for a few days. Yep. Another consult. And... Uh, then we come home, and it's getting close to March. And then there's several through March in Kansas, Oklahoma, um, and Missouri as well. That's right. And then, yeah, we, who knows what will be in store. There's some, there's some other ones stuff popping for up Georgia here. popping up. And yep. Yeah, oh, my. So well, Matt and I were just sitting here at, in the hotel room, and I said something, and I was like, oh, man, I'm tired. We're not going to get to sleep until after turkey season. <laughs> so, uh <laughs> Oh well, it's the it's the life we signed up for. You know, I, I will say this: um, we're, we're extremely blessed to be able to be traveling around like this, and the, these are not complaints, honestly. Um, 
we're, we're, we've been extremely busy and have you guys to thank for that. So appreciate how everyone reaching out, following along, listening to the podcast, asking questions. Um, and it's super refreshing, you know, coming off a, a weekend at National Wild Turkey Federation, be able to, to meet a lot of people who do listen um, and who are just really engaged in the similar things that we're talking about, conservation, talking about land, talking about um, improving habitat across the country. And everyone's got unique situations and different things that they're dealing with, but we can all come together around those themes. And we did that um, there in the Pure Air Natives booth, and it was fun. It was, it, it was just good, good time talking with great people um, and, and com- connecting, making new friends, um, and discussing ways that we can further improve land we gave a we did that after hours of land and legacy hosted by pure air natives and it really felt like we were preaching to the choir yeah we we met a lot of a lot of listeners at the at the show throughout the um, show, yeah. unfortunately because of the the setup we were only allowed to host uh saturday night which was the same night as the big banquet so um a lot of the people that we met weren't able to go up there. We still had a good crowd, and we got to talk a lot about habitat, native vegetation, and it, it really felt like we are preaching to the choir because so many of you guys, if you found us and have continued to listen to us, you you think a lot like us. You, you're you in it. You're you're seeing big picture. You're not just seeing the benefits for you and hunting and the deer. You're, you're trying to improve for the whole landscape, and that's what that's what we're all about. And, uh yep. And so that goes right into, um, you know, thanks for your support and continued support. Um, you know, we get asked a lot, like, okay, you guys are doing this or this. Like, I, I love to support you guys, and there's a lot of ways you can support us because Matt and I are going to continue to do this, Lord willing, as long as he tells us to keep doing it. Um, and so we have our hats. That's one way to support us, landlegacyapparel.com. But also uh, we are course our podcast so share it with your friends that's a great way for us to continue doing this and it really motivates us and not only that but it gives us new content fresh content every single week um for example the the consult in alabama um really kind of open up a a thing for down the road will uh it kind of led into um a species that wasn't known to really be in that area a whole lot it's in the native range but landowner they didn't know they didn't uh weren't aware that it was on their land as much um and we actually found some longleaf pines um they're certainly in the area but we really had to look around and find them and and so they're going to take that and pivot and try to use some nrcs uh, programs to do kind of a a, a restoration of the longleaf pine Uh, so that may be something that we're going to get to see uh, moving forward um, as we kind of expand our content as we start doing more videos um, so check out that's another way to support us and help us is um, check out our land and legacy youtube channel and also on our website um, because we're going to start dropping a lot of videos this year and uh, this spring and you're going to see a lot more turkey hunts than last year you're going to see them posted a lot earlier so it's not you're not going to get our hunts after season and you're already thinking food plots you're going to get them a lot quicker um so prepare yourself because you know we drop podcasts every single week we're going to be prepping to drop videos every single week um as we move forward in 2019 so get ready i am probably more excited about that than the podcast coming up because we get all the time where our podcast listeners 
don't get to watch all our videos because they were dropping at irregular times. So now you need to be subscribed because we're going to start dropping a lot more consistently on video content. Um, and, and changing up the format of that. But we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll, leave, uh, we'll leave that for you guys to discover. But it will be uh, – It'll be great. A lot of yeah. great information being shared through that. Um, so definitely great places to, to check out and to uh, support. Another quick way um, to do so in, in relation with QDMA, we are hosting the QDMA Steward 2 course this year in Ohio. September um, 13th through the 15th of September at um, Todd Watts Farm called Trophy Farms in Gallipolis, Ohio. It is a great, great farm, intensively managed, um, and we are hosted there with Todd, and Cutie Mae is coming on board 13th through the 15th. The best way to sign up is go to cutiemae.com. You got to go through Steward 1 first, but there's options and times right now for you to be able to do that. Um, if you've been through Steward 1, definitely sign up. This is their only public course this year so we're honored to be able to host it um i hope to hope everyone uh is able to, to to sign up and come and if you haven't done it sign up for for steward one it's gonna be a great event oh for sure for sure um another thing we talked yep. about it last week maybe two weeks ago who the heck knows um Time time just gets away, but we talked about hosting these workshops, uh, regionally based workshops, to where basically a uh, event on a farm, and we mm-hmm. go through our strategies and what we talk about on a weekly basis here on the podcast of of uh, basically we're going to go to a farm and then we're going to spend part of the day Friday, like Friday evening, having a good time seminar, and then. Uh, Saturday spending all day going through station to station so one station may be edge feathering and we're going to do live demonstrations on how we're feathering the edge and improving the edge habitat around our food plots around our fields um, and or, then, or evaluating a, a timber stand and doing some hack and squirt and um, looking at the the best trees to different options and, to kill trees and yeah tons and tons of stuff everything that we'd be going through honestly on a consultation we're going to be reviewing um, throughout these these select properties. So, so this is a great opportunity for guys that have smaller properties that may not be able to justify um, hiring us and getting us on the property or justify us traveling states and states away to see your place. Maybe this is your opportunity to meet us at a farm and you get a really good idea of, of actually what we're showcasing uh, when we're talking about it on the podcast. So shoot us an email or send us a Facebook message about your interest in that and um and if you have a farm and you're like you know what maybe this would be a good opportunity um let us know and uh, we'll discuss some of the opportunities or what what we have planned for that so um definitely definitely let us know through a facebook message instagram message or email at info at landandlegacy.tv also one last thing leave us a review please um, if you can on inst- uh, Instagram is what I about said iTunes <laughs> and our Facebook page. That's right. So, um, yeah, there you go. Ready to talk about this week's topic? Um, we should have said that earlier so people didn't maybe just turn us off <laughs> ten minutes ago. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> no, they skipped through it. It's all right. <laughs> with with all the talk, with all the tours, with all the um, consulting we've done. Well, not even, not only consulting, uh, from from a real estate standpoint. 
as well, being on tons and tons and tons of properties that people have worked or neglected or whatever state or, or um, you know, stage we see them at, it always reminds us and keeps our brains thinking about, and what would I, what would I do with this place? Or let, let's say I had the opportunity to, to buy this farm. What would I turn it into? What would I make it look like? What is that dream farm have? How would it be managed? And like, what are the, what are the components of it? Is basically the the podcast topic, breaking that down from okay. Typically, we're going to be in 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 Missouri, but regardless of the location, what do these farms in our dream in our mind? What what do they have? What do they offer? Well, the reason I want to talk about this because I've been asked a lot on the consults of, so what's your dream farm? What do you what what do you envision? you owning one day or managing. So a couple different ways of how we got there, but it comes down to 50 years from now. Hopefully it's not that long because I'd be 80 years old. The Lord help us. Um, <laughs> 10 years from now, what's your dream farm? What are you working towards? What are you trying to, every day when you wake up and you go to work, what are you picturing yourself working for? Um, and and kind of what what's your dream farm? And so for us, and well, I won't say for us because Matt's got a different one than me, most likely. But mine, um, and and this just goes with kind of a good reminder for you guys, or a good uh, so you guys understand. Um, we might not have the same goals, but that doesn't mean we can't help you get to your goals. Um, right. I think one of the biggest things that people are gonna. I don't think we've ever. We, I know we haven't. We've never done a podcast where we actually talked about what our dream farm is and why that is it. Um, why and, it has these aspects on it. And so that's why we're going to – we thought, you know what, this is a good time. We're right in the middle of – it's a For Love of the Land podcast, so it's not necessarily habitat or hunting. We're just going to talk a lot about um, land. And so to give you guys an idea and breakdown um, – <laughs> We got asked this last week, actually. Where's the Where's the place you want to own land one day? And I'll I'll probably never say anywhere other than Southern Missouri because that's home for me. Even though, as a kid, I grew to hate living in Southern Missouri because the deer hunting was so 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 bad. Um, I mean, I had this conversation with another Southern Missouri boy here at the NWTF of how like. Some people in other places of the Midwest where the hunting is really good, when you finish a hunt and you say, what'd you see? And you say, oh, nothing. That doesn't mean that you didn't see nothing or anything. That just means you didn't see a shooter. You may still saw 20 deer. And and this was actually a guy that films a lot, and he, mm -hmm. he gets to work on a lot of the premier farms. And he's like, you know, when it comes to – somebody in in this region and they're like oh, i didn't see anything well time out time out that's a different that's a different definition for me in southern missouri than you because well, there, when we say a, we didn't see anything in southern missouri there. we mean we didn't see a deer it was a goose egg but when you say you didn't see anything in in that part or on your farm you maybe still saw 20 deer you just didn't see a shooter buck yeah huge difference and so for me when i say we didn't see anything we didn't see anything uh, in fact, the first year of bow hunting for me, saw one deer out of a tree stand. So I've kind of gone full circle now to where I used to want to move away to have good land. Now I just want to build it here on my own farm. And I say, um, 
it's because we now understand how to manage the land better, uh, how to improve the farm. In most of the country, we can tell you, okay, it may be terrible, but there's things we could do to make it better. Um, and most of the time, it's a lot of the stuff that we're not doing uh, or we're doing the simple things that really don't make the, the drastic effect. And so um, that's what we're doing on, on the Prairie Hollow property. My family farm is trying to do the drastic things to where we're improving it greatly for all species and the land in general. So, And, and I, I don't, you know, honestly, with, with the podcast, you know, it doesn't have to be built around location, though, either. You know, a lot of these aspects or parts of a farm can be replicated in a lot of different places and we do travel a bunch and get to see a lot of farms but a lot of these aspects whether you know depending on the you know domination of the farm but you see them across the country you know and and so we we don't have to focus you know or or be bogged down by an area and i hope that's encouraging to people like you know no matter your area you can still produce quality whitetails and quality um habitat you know in your given area, just respective to, to your area. Um, so it, I don't even think it matters location, but like what, not what, anymore. W- yeah. Not anymore. What is, wh- well, let's say this, not anymore. When we focus on true land management and understanding the land and focus on natives, natives is going to be able to get you what you're looking for. Um, in most instances from a quality habitat, vegetation, wildlife standpoint so anyhow what is one thing adam that just boom right off the top of your head you're like you know what i want that on a farm that most people cattle yeah i always i think that's a shocker to most people probably not our listeners (laughs) probably probably not the listeners no but uh that's one thing that people and i know we did an interview a year or so ago with dan johnson and he was asking us to kind of describe in a nutshell our dream farm and and I said, oh, it's going to have cows. And there was like that awkward pause, like, is he, is he kidding right now or is no. he for real? Cattle are going to be a huge part of my dream farm that I'm building towards. And, and fortunately for me, I still ha- I have a family farm that's been in the family for a long time. And I'll hopefully get to continue that, that carrying of the torch. Um, and cattle have always been a part of the farm. And I don't plan on ever getting rid of the cattle. In fact, I plan on adding more to it. But in a different management style. And I think that's something that we've talked about a lot lately on the podcast of my dream farm isn't just a recreational hunting farm. It's a working farm that has many, many aspects of it that that are all benefiting the land as well as the owner myself. Um, and and cattle is probably one of the biggest things that I want to include and in, in change the management style of it but keep a a a huge part of the farm there's many benefits we know it improves the soil much 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 faster than any type of recreational uh, management of trying to improve the soil health Uh, plus we can manage more ground for the for the wildlife as far as you know we had kyle hedges on a couple weeks ago and he talked about grazing and and the difference of grazing and prescribed fire for managing management of quail. Um, you can manage more acres with, with cattle than you can with fire for upland birds. Um, so there is a plus. Um, and then the, the tax benefits. We're talking about actually turning a farm from recreational to an actual business. So um, cattle, big part. What's the biggest difference between cattle on my farm and going to be cattle on my farm in the future versus 
a lot of the cattle that we think of when we're when we're deer hunters rotational grazing cattle in smaller areas for shorter periods moving across the farm trying to replicate what the buffalo did well and i think in, in one of those uh, the de- definition of, of rotational grazing too is being a wise grazer of the forages that are on the farm and a lot of that is you're not you're not foraging you know each paddock or each portion that the cattle are into you're not grazing that down to the ground I mean, you're, you're just not you're you're grazing a third you know part of that gets trampled and you're leaving the rest for it to regrow and rest um, as the cattle move on to other paddocks so you always have ample vegetation on the ground protecting the soil keeping the root system alive and increase the amount of forage honestly that those acres can produce but that is also cover um, and sometimes forage if you have diverse paddocks for wildlife so those acres are multi-use in what they do and the purpose that they serve and I think I think ultimately that's like for, for me it's trying to think of you know I, I do want to hunt my farm successfully you know the dream farm but I also want to look at you know, initially what that area should be and how can I make that acre, each and every acre, what, however big a farm, you know, fortunate enough to have, but like no matter what it is, how many different uses can I get out of it that are still benefiting the overall, you know, work usage of the farm? You know, I want to be as dynamic as it can be yeah. and, and rotational grazing in that form you know, in that management style, if you have diverse paddock and diverse forages, you're accomplishing so much on those acres, on that land, that you you turn, you know, someone's mindset completely around from a cattle aspect and a hunting aspect. You make it so much more beneficial for both of those, um, you know, avenues, cattle and hunting and wildlife. It, it, it's, That's right. It's complete 180 in the system of, of cattle and, and hunting properties. For sure, and and that's the biggest thing. You know, you see pictures or videos of people that are hunting Kansas or Oklahoma or anywhere in the country, and they're, like, in a tree stand, and here comes a big black. I always get cracked up when I think about this, because out west you, you chase elk, and, and instantly, growing up on a cattle farm, I never called them this, but as soon as you get out west, you, you refer to them as moo cows. Here comes mm-hmm. a big red moo cow walking through the timber. That's not going to happen on our farms. No, it'll no, no, be no. very confined. Cattle won't be grazing in the woods, nope. Especially not during the fall. Now we may run them through the woodlands or savannas um, for a quick Boom. for a quick spell during the summer, but they're never going to be in the woods, especially not during the fall uh, and winter. And so you're not going to have that. You're going to have a lot of underbrush and and growth in your. We won't have a closed canopy forest. No. We will have 100% woodlands, savannas. Um, and then just shrubby prairies, hopefully, uh, mixed with a, mixed with some pastures around. Um, so there won't be any more. There won't be an acre of closed canopy forest. Maybe one acre just for, um, just to so show an example. People. I mean, just 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 so we can honestly come and people. And that's the other thing, honestly, as a dream farm. You know, when it's all set up, is don't no, get ahead I, of ourselves. I know. I don't. I don't <laughs> want it to be like you know sound like boastful or anything but i want to be a show place but ultimately i want to be an educational 
place. So some of, like an example of closed canopy forest, you know, a lot of times you'll go to a, a state park and they've got like uh, exclusion cages or areas that they've they've roped off and like, oh, look at all the pressure and damage that deer are doing in a closed canopy system. It's like, well, <laughs> go figure. It's a closed canopy system. Of course yeah. there's going to be browse pressure and, and, yeah. and you're not managing deer. But what I would like to do is the exact opposite and show how poor the qual- the habitat is in a closed canopy si- situation in comparison to woodlands and savannas. Yeah. Well, I guess we don't have to even leave an acre because we'll just point across the road on the neighbor's side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want that acre back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I don't want to let that acre yeah. just sit there and, and go to die. Yeah. And so basically we're going to have cattle involved in a very um, – hardcore management of rotational grazing. So there's going to be cattle involved. Now our timber's not going to look anything like we're used to. Um, very woodland, no, very anyway. open, um, open well, semi-open canopy, yeah, open savannas. Canopy, but, but seriously, at ground level, it's very thick. If you took a kickball and you picked it up and kicked it 50 yards out into the woods, you wouldn't be able to see it. Right. R- currently... Currently, the way it's set up on the family farm is if you took a kickball and you kicked it and you shot it shot it out of a cannon and it went 200 yards in timber, you'd probably still see it bouncing along, Yeah. Uh, especially in certain places. And so there's going to be a lot of management done and, and changing things up, um, and that's going to happen, happen very, very soon for us. And uh, so changing the forest, I changing mean, like, like dynamic change yeah and, and c- because none of these places and, and it's so hard I know, and i know for for listeners right now on the podcast are like okay what, what do you mean like changing it like we're talking scattered trees we're talking 30 percent of the actual acres or let, let's say it was a wooded acre now it, it, it's trees the rest is underbrush like there's there's so much canopy there's sky because we know the value of the sunlight and what it does from from a promotion of native vegetation and the rest is going to carry itself yes i mean we're we're talking 180 on on timber and what what it's going to look like picture right now it's it's no different than almost any other forest in the country minus the autumn olive or bush honeysuckle invasion Mm -hmm. and and we actually have bush honeysuckle coming into the area so a burn plan (laughs) is is incredibly important for us 100 percent. and so we're going to be Burning, obviously we do that anyway, but a lot more, a lot more burns planned, um, gridded off. So we're gonna have, who knows, couple hundred or, if if we if we continue with the management of the Prairie Hollow property, we'll be burning a hundred to two hundred acres probably every single year yeah. in that in that chunk of timber between the family farm and the lease. And so, lots of burning, lots of thinning the timber, lots of TSI. Um, and and so there's going to be, you know, people are going to drive by, people are going to walk by, people are going to come for the outdoor classroom because it's going to be yep. kind of a, right now it's a little bit closed off because it's like, yeah, we're not there yet. But once it gets there, no, it's going to be. on the road. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's raining. So it can't and burn. it's raining and it can't burn. But at some point it's going to be doors open and pretty much. Yeah. open open door to come in and, and see what we've done to where you can hopefully take that information go back and do it on your farm that's right um, we really want it to be an outdoor classroom and, and a learning experience for everyone involved here's an, with, with that being said here's another thing and I, I know we've, we've probably chatted about it on the habitat heroes podcast before um so not to repeat ourselves but the other aspect is in a, in a dream farm 
I want to be able to use the farm. I want to be able on a daily basis, you know, to be able to go out on that property and use it and not feel like I'm interfering with the other goals that I have. So a road system, super important on it, but I want it, I want it to be designed in a way that, you know, if I do go out for a stroll or a walk with my family or whatever, or just a buggy ride, I'm not interfering with, with the hunting. The next day I can come back out and hunt and be successful. And there's ways to do that, but it just takes the proper layout and design. But I, what what I what kind of pains me sometimes, and we'll go to a property, and and you know you may hear, oh well, I, I don't come on this property, you know, throughout the entire summer unless I'm running cameras or doing this for for fear of interfering. Well, here's my opinion: you have that land, that massive investment, and and you you're not able to utilize it 365 days a year in fear of, of interrupting something or limiting your success, well, I, I want you to be able to use the farm um, and the property itself throughout the entire year and still not, you know, interfere with anything. So there's ways to go about that. And one of the, you know, the aspects of a dream farm is it's got to have the ability to do that in its now, setup. One of the things, and in, in if you have a farm that's like this, I'm not trying to offend you. But one thing that I hate the thought of is buying a piece of ground. And then if somebody in your family is wanting to enjoy it um, and just say, no, you you have to stay off the entire farm. There's going to be places set aside to where, yeah, you know, the rut comes around, turkey season comes around. You don't go blasting through on a four-wheeler yeah. right through the middle of it. But there's parts of the farm, and, and that's what I think is so great about the uh, – the family farm and the prairie hollow properties there's gravel roads right there to, that really kind of tie them together where right. you have to you have to use the gravel road if you want to go out on four-wheeler you can buzz around and spend a lot of the time on the gravel road mm -hmm. but there's other trails that'll be set up to where we'll never you can ride around and see a lot of beautiful stuff but never go through the actual heart of the property right yep. during the rut to where you don't know really what's happening but I know a farm. I've been on farms where it's like, no, I really am only here three weeks out of the year, and outside of that, it's all for the deer. And it's like, man, I feel like that's just a waste. Yeah, I mean, and I know we've we've said this too on the podcast is land wears so many different hats, and it can be utilized in so many different ways. But if we if we only have such a narrow focus of what that land you know how it should be benefiting us, the landowner, I think honestly we've we've lost and gotten out of touch with the sense of responsibility that goes along with land ownership and and if we're neglecting that farm and its resources and the management of it much of the year we've we've forgotten and we lost sight of what it means to truly have that responsibility to manage it and maintain it and improve it and those resources yeah so another thing about the farm that will be uh, a makeup of it to where we'll probably you probably don't see a lot on a regular basis anyways so there's cattle but in a lot of farms cattle farms you have cool season pastures you're going to have your orchard grass tall fescue smooth brome whatever it is in your part of the world or it could be down south where you have bahia grass uh, or bermuda grass johnson grass johnson grass and that's really you you have pastures that are really one type of grass there's not a lot of diversity of here's a cool season pasture and here's warm season pastures. My dream farm has both. And not only does it have both, but there's diversity within each one of those. So if it is cool season grass, 
Um, there's going to be multiple legumes and, and grasses and, and forbs all included in that. Um, and then you flip, flip that, and there's going to be a lot of warm season pastures as well that have not just grasses but forbs. Um, and specifically a lot of these native wildflowers um, and milkweeds to where um, we have the warm season grass benefit, but at the same time we have the benefit for the pollinators and, uh, and also bringing in and, and being more beneficial to the, for the quail and, and then rabbits. And mm. so a big thing for me um, is having that diversity to where um, the cows really move around. Hay is almost virtually eliminated um, of course, the, the, we, the need of feeding the, hay. the need of feeding hay for two or three months out of the year. Now we may feed hay a very small portion when it gets really cold or there's deep snow. But for the most part, we're going to try and get out of completely feeding hay to where it's just a rotation. Um, but with that, that'll allow us to designate areas of warm season, kind of prairie, restoring prairie to where we get the benefit for the cattle, but most importantly, we get the benefit for the wildlife. Um, and within those, we're going to have shrubs planted. We're going to have some other types of uh, trees planted to where, uh, and then we're, we're also going to have brambles scattered around to where, for me, the dream is um, November 15th rolls around, November 18th rolls around, and I can say, hmm, do I want to hunt deer this morning? Or do I want to go out on a rabbit hunt? Or do I want to hunt quail this morning? And I can say, you know what? The conditions aren't that great for the deer. Um, there's not much of a wind. I've got some buddies that are here. Let's go chase some rabbits. And we can send some beagles out and and, and chase rabbits. Um, or, or opening day, quail season rolls around. We've got a couple of coveys of quail. And we can go out and shoot some quail and have, have a good time. Um, at the same time, that, that's never going to stop me. Even if we do kick up a shooter buck, I'm never going to find myself going, dang it, we're going to stop quail hunting because we're going to bump deer. I want to have the enjoyment of all those different activities on my family farm. Knowing full well that could harm me on in the long run for killing a giant deer. But that's not my goals. Yeah. No, it, it, it's an all-around enjoyment of, of all the resources that a farm can have um, and enjoying them, you know, how and, and when you please. I mean, that's the beauty of it all. You know, one of the things that I think uh, not often talked about but is how to incorporate the family into some of these things. Yeah. Um, and, <clears throat> and, you know, giving kids responsibilities. You know, hopefully, you know, the farm, the dream farm is honestly not, not a separate farm from, from where um, – I'm living. I would love to have a, a, my family be able to be raised on the property itself, so that you know there's responsibilities from from a kid's aspect of hey, you know, go move the chicken barn, or the the chicken tractor. You know, go 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 get the eggs. Go do this. Go do that. Help dad with this. Um, I want. I had the luxury, honestly, of growing up. Um, I was spoiled when it came to this of being able to get outside and learn and work. Um, at that time, I didn't realize the value of it, but now I look back, I'm like, I, I was so incredibly blessed to be able to have those learning experiences outdoors, and I just want the same thing from from them, uh, for for them, I guess, and, you know, being able I to... I heard it. That's very well, selfish. You said from them. You're just looking for labor. <laughs> yeah, right? Cheap labor. Um, oh, I look back on, on it now, and not everyone, you know, is brought up that way, but... Um, 
I was lucky enough to, and I want to be able to at least offer that, you know, not push it on them, but offer that um, to them because I know the value that it had on my life. Um, and so, you know, those opportunities for them to be able to, to join in um, and understand, you know, diversity, the the aspects of natives, um, and, and just be a, a classroom for them to, to sit back and enjoy and watch things change and evolve and, and take um, pride and, and having something that is truly different um, around the neighborhood, um, that that's a big part of it is bringing bringing kids into it in a family atmosphere. Not, and for me, not just my kids, but other kids. Certainly, um, that's one big thing that is kind of one of the biggest differences um, when you think about okay, so your management, you can help people grow bigger deer. Yes, we can do that. But I'm not targeting that. That's if so. When we go to each one of our clients, we always ask, "What's your what's your three t- what's your three big goals? What's what's the main three goals you want to accomplish on this farm?" Um, and if somebody were to ask me that, I would say maximize land productivity. Yep. Increase game numbers and non-game numbers for full enjoyment for both hunting and non hunting experience and third was get as many people involved in the outdoors and enjoying the farm as possible and with those three goals killing big deer the biggest deer in southern missouri probably ain't happening yeah i i probably won't and and it doesn't matter if it if it does or if it doesn't it's it's the educational aspect of 100 percent i i think uh I don't, we can certainly help people grow the biggest stinking deer on their farm possible. That's a big part of what we do, but it ain't what we're doing on our own farm. Yeah. And for me, so. And that's how not do a we, put down on those people no, who have those goals. That, not, not at all. This, that's this that's is a just, big part of our business. Yeah. And, but for me on mine is I really want it to be an opportunity for clients, former clients, future clients, um, kids, people that aren't hunters can come and enjoy it and the way that happens is maximize game and non-game numbers so there are tons of birds there's tons of flowers there's as many deer as the land will hold as many turkeys and quail and rabbits as the land will hold to where no matter what time of the year no matter what time of the day we can find something for a guest or family member to enjoy on the land Yep. Um, whether that's moving cows, moving chickens, collecting eggs, and that's just the ag side of it. Mm-hmm. Whether that's looking at the prairie for flowers and taking pictures, whether that's chasing rabbits behind a beagle, whether that's chasing squirrels, or behind a bird dog chasing quail, and I'm sure there's many, many other, whether that's fishing in the ponds, I, I'm trying to think whether that's riding horses, watching the sunrise, watching the Golly. sunrise. That does it. For listen me. for quail whistling in the morning, doing covey counts, yep. or whether that's uh, riding four wheelers up and down the roads or around the trails. It's all part of the overall enjoyment, and we I, I understand 100% that um, we're not going to kill the biggest deer in southern Missouri because of those goals. So the goals will probably always continue to be. For me, three and a half or better. But at the same time, if we have some kids in here, I want them to have the ability to shoot whatever. So this is an opportunity thinking Habitat or just 
land in general is if you want to grow the biggest stinking deer your property will hold, you're going to have to have lower deer numbers to where those bucks that are there maximize their potential by never being stressed in large herds, never competing with other deer. They're just more of a solitude or the herd numbers are decrease more than normal. Um, you want them to have everything they ever need. That doesn't happen with deer numbers through the roof. When you have more deer than your quality, ha than your habitat can hold, the deer aren't as big. The bucks aren't as big. The deer aren't as healthy. Um, and so for us, we're, or for me, I'm trying to find the balance of getting as many deer as possible to where when we take somebody to a stand, they're going to see a lot of deer. But at the same time, the deer aren't stressed because there's so many of them. Um, because of that, the deer aren't, aren't going to be as big. So if you're looking for a huge, huge bucks, you need to make sure you have a lower deer numbers. That way you're not having the stress, the social stress, um, the dominance factor all involved, which you'll still get, but not as much if you have tons of deer on your property. So we're going to try I, on my dream farm. We're going to make sure we have plenty of deer to see. And when we go out, there's a good opportunity to shoot something. I think uh, we were talking about someone this weekend. Um, don't remember who it was, but every single thing that we're talking about is all in a balance, a balance of what it is that the land can support and should support where that's scientifically in your goals, understanding what that is, setting these goals and, and working towards that balance is super important to establish on the front end. Know what it is you're trying to accomplish and go out and set forth. Some Sometimes you're going to have years where you need to take more deer. Some years you're not going to have to take hardly any. Yep. It just is finding the balance and staying there, find that equilibrium, balancing it with you know cattle, with um, maybe other herbivores or predators, whatever it is. Just find the balance and work towards that. Keep it. Um, another thing, Dream Farm, I, I kind of want, um, a little orchard. Yep. Totally. Like, I, I, not, not something that, <laughs> I don't, I don't want it to be, you know, cover acres and acres and acres, but I want, I just want that represented there on the farm. Like just as, you know, kind of a show plot or something that I can go and, and have some peaches or whatever. I, I mean, just, you know. Out of, all, out of all that. the fruits, you picked the worst one. Are you kidding me? I love a peach, man. Yeah, right. Oh. I, I, I'll have a, I'll have an orchard close to the house, and then I want, I want some sort of fruit or nut tree in every single food plot, mm -hmm. just because. And, and that's a good time to talk the dream, the dream food plot for us. In every single food plot on the farm, will be whatever the size is, whatever the shape is. Will be some sort of productive forage, a diversity, most likely. Um, Go figure. With the edges being some sort of native um, buffer around it, so like the the pure air natives edge feathering blend or edge the blend. edge blend, and um, then the that will be. And then there will not be a single hard edge on my dream farm. It'll no. be f everything will be feathered. And and this is the thing I, th I don't think that honestly I, I guess fall, fall on our shoulders is you know. A lot of times we're talking about edge feathering. Don't be afraid to go in the woods like 30 yards. Yeah. Like extend that on out somewhere. It's like 30 yards, 10 yards. That's a great place to start. 
But what is it going to hurt if you push it back 30 yards? I'm going to tell you, nothing. It's just increasing that edge, that transition zone, and that's fine. We will have extremely soft edges and transition from hardwoods into the edges of food plots. I can't wait for that day. We're going to be cutting a lot. Yeah, it'll be a lot of cutting (laughs) and a lot of burning to where – and and you think about it, that's what happened naturally with fires when we had a lot more of the of these native prairies and native meadows is when fire hit or lightning strike hit Ripped. they would rip across the field and slam into the side mm-hmm. of the timber and as it slammed in the timber and fuel loads got less and less they kind of dwindled out mm-hmm. and so you had picture a like a lake uh, especially a lake in mountainous country um, where you have like very jagged and coves and all kinds of little um, rivers and creeks and everything going back. That's how the fires would rip into these timber. And so some areas it would go further back into the timber and other areas it wouldn't go as far. Yep. Edge feathering the same way. Try to picture just slamming into where there's a bunch of junk trees and cut them all down and the, or just kill them. Some of them cut them down. Some of them just kill them standing. Uh, all the way around our fields, our pastures, everywhere will be like that. Yep. Um, and so there won't be a hard edge anywhere. Um, it's going to be just, instead of hard lines, we're going to have blurred lines. Oh, blurred yeah. lines. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then I set you up for that, by the way. I was and ready then, for the Um, so that's a huge thing for us. Um, for me, and this is kind of a 2019 challenge for me is hunt with somebody new every season. So if I can hunt with somebody new during turkey season and somebody new during deer season, gun season, I want to try and instead of just hunting with the same old people, Ugly face Matt. That's right. Ugly face Chad and have to look at their ugly mugs all the time. I want to hunt with somebody new. You're selfish. And <laughs> and I'm just tired of the same old people. No. Actually, I need somebody else to tell the stories to because I feel like I I'm hear telling the same, same story. Stories. My gosh. Um, and so. You shot the same deer 30 times by yeah. the end of the season. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, uh, and that's a challenge for you guys. Hunt with somebody new. Take somebody new. Um and and so try to just continue and change it up and get new people introduced to the outdoors um i am that that's a big thing and so some people may not enjoy deer hunting some people may not enjoy turkey hunting but they may enjoy rabbit hunting or quail hunting i really feel like my wife's not a deer hunter she's not a turkey hunter but i really feel like if there's any kind of hunting that she's going to like it's going to be quail hunting or rabbit hunting probably quail hunting because we don't necessarily have to go right at first light we could go mid-morning we could we could go in the afternoon there's lots of walking um and talking but there's a dog involved and they're shooting she loves shooting she likes dogs and she actually she likes the outdoors she just doesn't want to sit and be Mm -hmm. quiet and cold so there's a pretty good opportunity i think she'll like quail hunting well and and that's the value It, it doesn't even have to revolve around hunting though to bring someone out and for them if you if all these aspects are present on a farm there's something that they're going to find interesting i guarantee it if if all these things like we're talking like intricacies of rotating cattle the edges prescribed fire tsi you know pollinators horses. insects horses trail riding fishing everything and people are like golly guys you're 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 uh Got big exper- uh, expectations. It's yeah. really not that hard to do it, though. But it, it, it's it just it's going to require time and yeah. some resources. But they're they're out there for for the help and support. Anyhow, if all that is present on a property, 
I guarantee anybody you take to that farm is going to walk away saying, wow, that place was cool. It's I'd like different. to own some land or it's, I'd like to go back. I've never been on a place like that and I liked it because it was different and, and it, it was honestly thought of um, from every aspect that, you know, it wasn't just a single focus. It wasn't just for this. It wasn't just for this purpose. It was for everything to benefit on that place. Like walking out, we, we talked about uh, pure Arenatus thing, is walking out to a pollinating, uh, pollinator, pollinator blend um, that they've installed, and there's seriously an audible hum in the field throughout the entire growing season because of all the insects that are buzzing around this place. I want to walk into those fields and see that and hear that and see songbirds just waking up every single morning. That would be awesome. Uh, one of the th- w- so we went off on a rabbit trail, a literal rabbit trail. Um, going back to the food plots and fields, they're all edge feathered. We have natives around them. We planted the stuff. I want there to be fruit trees involved in that, um, or hard mass trees to where there's also uh, one other thing. There's also in, in not every one of them, but there's more water. Po- there's little water holes involved on each uh, each food plot that's every 200 acres or so to where there's pretty much everything a deer would need in those little, at that food plot location. Then you take that to a woodland in Savannah outside of that, and you have a pretty doggone cool ecosystem right there. You have a full ecosystem. That's yeah. the thing. And it's working and complementing each other. The, everything, riparian areas, wetlands, you know, vernal pools, whatever it is that should be there, Make it the best that it can be, yes. and then teach people about it. That's what. That's all I want. That's, yeah. I mean, that's it. That's all I want. I mean, you know, what I mean, like, <laughs> am I asking for you know too much here? And someone's gonna and be like, "How much r- land?" Well, <laughs> I'm gonna say this. It doesn't matter. I'm just gonna say well, as much as I can get. <laughs> yeah. Even if it's 50 acres, you can do this. It, to me, yeah. it, and it's not that hard. It's just a it, scale. Let's just say the family farm's 282 acres, uh, mostly cattle right now. How how am I gonna get there? So one of the biggest things is going to be implementing water lines and tire tanks to where there's a better opportunity for rotational grazing. Increase the amount of fencing through electric and poly wires to where we can put up portable fencing. Um, That's one of the biggest things we could do. We can even enter into government cost share if we want to to speed up the process because they're help offsetting the cost. Another thing is fence off the woods to where we don't have cattle going in the woods. Next thing would be timber harvest. Thin that timber. Thin it, baby. Follow up with TSI to get get it to a woodland restoration. Once again, government cost share if that's an op, if that's something you'd want to do. We're going to do it whether or not the government's involved. Um, we're going to thin the timber and create woodlands um, and savannas. And so, and then we're going to restore prairies. Once we get the fencing and everything in place, then we're going to create more. Um, native warm season prairies for pastures Um, and so that's that's going to be the next step and also once again government cost share if you want to do that Um, and that's really once you get to that then it's just tweaking a little bit of the habitat to where we know just by doing more warm season grasses we know by doing the rotational grazing and keeping the deer out of the out of the timber and then thinning the timber we're going to have more quail we're going to have more rabbits um, we're going to have better deer hunting. We're going to have better turkey hunting. All that happens just by doing more of the of the cattle aspect and managing the timber. Nothing, nothing to do with the food plots increasing. It's all because of the cattle rotation, the cattle management, and the timber management. Tr- truthfully, 
when all that's in place, the food plots that we know now aren't going to receive as much browse pressure during no. growing season. They, they just don't – they won't need to be that size and that much attention put to them from – because the browse is not going to be the same. You know, we're, we're changing that level. So um, by offsetting and basically promoting more native browse, the food plots will be supplemental and great attraction during hunting seasons, but not a, an incredible focus once that gets there um, on, on dream farms. Absolutely. I, I think that pretty well describes it. I've got some other stuff I want to cover here. Um, you got anything else on the dream farm that you Oh, want? I'm sure I left out tons of stuff. But, that you know, in essence, diversity and think of every single acre as being, okay, it serves this purpose now, but what else does it do? And, and again, it, you, can't, you can't accomplish that with monoculture. So back right into diversity, each acre is going to have and serve multiple goals um, for wildlife, for income, for family enjoyment, for educational purposes. Hopefully time will allow to where once I get my dream farm set up the way I'd like, if anybody comes along and they're like, I, I've never quail hunted or I, I'd like to, but I've never done it, hey, let's go. Yep. Or a kid comes along and doesn't have the opportunity to hunt and they want to go or somebody calls me and said, hey, I've got this kid I know that wants to go hunting, but they don't have anybody to take them. Boom, they're going. Um so whatever it's just an opportunity for people to enjoy the outdoors and that's what it's all about for me so um there you have it yep. my dream farm dream which it. is right there at the family farm um hopefully add some acres some neighboring properties down the road but uh, if not we're just going to keep making the family farm what i want it to be um i was going to go through some of these questions we've got uh sent in on our facebook page um, yeah. so we've had a lot of people reach out in the last couple of weeks as we're traveling. Uh, I think cause people are seeing us on the road and they're like, Oh, I'm going to ask them. I'm, I've been meaning to ask them at this question. So, um, I had somebody write, got? we had somebody write and said, Hey guys, what herbicide do you use for hack and squirt is toward on effective on tree of heaven and black locust. I'm mainly concerned about treating the several trees of tree of heaven and I have a few black locusts I would like to kill to allow more sunlight. And in an area, I would uh, like to grow some food or cover. Um, also, when can you treat these trees? I live in western Pennsylvania. Western Pennsylvania. And so, um, of course, tree heaven's one of those horrible invasives. But they're really easy to kill because they're not a very stout tree. Um, Tordon will kill tree heaven, as will pure glyphosate uh, and several other herbicides. But... Tordon RTU that you can get at a local hardware store is a simple fix for the tree heaven. Be very cautious with Tordon RTU. It's pretty wicked. Don't get it in any water, uh, ponds, creeks, anything like that. Be very cautious of it. Um, and I wouldn't go crazy with it. Um, and anyway, I while I'm on my phone reading these, my wife calls me and I hit ignore and she said, My wife Rude. just called me too. <laughs> rude um you should never ignore me sorry babe i'm in the middle of a podcast um so i'll text her back but tordon great option for tree heaven tree heaven also has a lot of uh suckers from the roots um in a very ozarky term um a lot of times if you're seeing a lot of stems per little acre per per acre or per um small area they're under on the, the canopy of one big massive mother tree and so 
you know, try to target all of them, but don't get crazy and think that you have to get every single one of them. Knock out 50% of them, try to get the big ones, and then come back and see if the smaller ones are still growing and then hit them too. Also, it'll kill the black locusts. Um, with it, with any invasive, always follow up the next year. Come back and see if you need to retreat or kill out the seed bank that those other trees that were there had uh, produced. Come back. That might be a foliar application. Might not need to hack and squirt, but definitely come back and make sure that you're uh, following up with the initial management. So there you have it. Uh, when's a great time? Pretty much the best time to do hack and squirt is that late summer, early fall, when trees are transferring nutrients from the from the uh, canopy down into the roots. Um, that's the very best time, but you can do it almost year-round minus the springtime when green up is happening because the exact opposite will happen where all the nutrients from the root system is pushing up to the top and it'll just push the herbicide out if you've done it. So yep. avoid that wherever you're at, but generally speaking from it could be February in the deep south to April or it could be uh, March to May. Uh, but avoid that time to do this. So, um, anyway, um, also we have a uh, another guy had reached out um, recently and said he's a tree farmer and he's got orchards, but he was wondering what would be a good mix to plant between the rows of trees, mix of clovers and legumes. Um, I'd also like to limit the mowing, um, but it also needs to be uh, able to drive through. And so, um, of course, we're talking about planting an orchard. Um, so, orchard, he's trying to get a lot of bees in there for pollinating. So, short, something short that could also be attractive to the pollinators as well as the deer. So, clovers. Um, Perennial are, clovers. Uh, clovers and alfalfa mm -hmm. could be a good option. Um, probably more of the clovers just because they're a little bit more tough than the alfalfa. Um, since he doesn't want to be doing a lot of mowing, um, if he's got fescue pasture or fescue turf grass, he's going to be mowing it. <sighs> Sometimes you get a lot of rain, a lot once a week. But if you have clover, we could mow it three times a summer, so it shouldn't nope. take nearly or two times a summer. There's but always with clover. What we definitely want to do is increase the amount of diversity. So we've added, we recommend adding chicory or buckwheat in the summer. Buckwheat would be awesome, at least around the interior, the outside edges, um, for for bringing pollinators, attracting them to increase the pollination of those trees. It, lots of activity. Take some of that ni nitrogen yep. out of the soil that the clover is fixated. Uh, and then in the fall, you could add wheat to that or oats. Um, so that's another thing to do. Um, so good luck with that, um, Adam. And also, you know, Matt, there, we've got so many questions that came in lately. Um, one of them was uh, asking if there's a good way to identify trees, what kind of books. And we've mm -hmm. always recommended the iNaturalist app. Yep. Um, but there's a book that is from the National Wildlife Federation Field Guide to Trees of North America. You know how much I love that book. It sits on my desk at home. There's also a wildflower one and a bird one. So check those out for if you're not an app guy and you don't want to use the iNaturalist app, check out those books. And they're pretty cheap on Amazon. They're less than 20 bucks. So um, anyway, um, have you had any questions come through lately that you're like uh, – Oh yeah, we need we need to talk about that one on the uh, on the podcast. But I've got another one here from head. Daniel. He says, You're "Hey again, on your phone. 
Yeah. You got him. As I prepare, you thicken an area on. Uh, as I prepare to thicken an area on my property, would you recommend something evergreen or bush type? Thanks for letting me pick your brain. Um, and I basically, you know, when when we're talking about trying to thicken up a property, um, it really kind of depends on where you're at, what we're going to target. But so if you're in the north, um, this time of year it's super cold. You may have a heavy snowpack on on the ground and um, wind wind and is wind. a big factor so thermal factor. cover yeah. oh yeah i need thermal cover i'm just gonna say it um dark dark timber to where it's like completely black underneath that's not what we really want what we want is something that the deer can get against get out of the wind but still have sun penetrating through to where it can help melt the snow um, and keep them warm. So we're looking for something that is that is more of a shrubby, bushy evergreen. So uh, white cedar, white pine, uh, red pine. There's a lot of different evergreens out there. Try to find something native to your to your area um, or very close to your area. White cedar. Did I say that one at the beginning? Yes. Um, and then even hemlock trees. Um, we're trying to get something bushy, something in that five foot down. And some of the some of the species you're gonna need to top. You're gonna need to come back and, and top them off. Yeah. And to keep them bushy because they grow relatively fast, and you need to have that um, that structure maintained at that level to keep it bushy. And if not, it will continue to grow like anything else. So and, keep them maintained. And before you know it, it's out of reach, and and it once again has no purpose. Um, and then of course. If you can get diversity of evergreen shrubs um, mixed with some other shrubs like American plums um, and then at the same time get some native vegetation, grasses and forbs growing, you can have very, very awesome. Um, th- I mean, if you're looking for thicken up a property, that's one way to do it. So if you're down south, you're not really as concerned about thermal cover. So, um, you know, s- sumac groves and and adding in uh, these other plum thickets that are native to your landscape with the um with the forbs the the sunflowers or or uh the grasses that's another way to thicken up your property but if you say thicken up we're looking for something at four to five foot and down so any way to do that um by basically one way to do that is by planting shrubs and then trying to get some early successional habitat that's right yeah um i know there's a few more but um yeah, uh, that's that's pretty much it. You got a would you rather? Oh, that's that's for other other podcast. Yeah. But we haven't done one in so long. Um, would you rather? Oh, I think we we've done this before, but it, I think sometimes the answer can can change and evolve a little bit. Would you rather buy a a property that is um has already been logged and it's very cheaply done you know price per acre because you know the current market says that the value has been removed from the property would you rather buy that or would you rather buy a property that hasn't been timbered and do it yourself but is twice the amount i'd rather buy the one that's already cut probably just because i mean i'd like to do the timbering myself but like i've said before i feel like uh timber when there is timber on there people value it a lot more than it's probably actually worth mm-hmm. and so you're probably gonna have to pay for it so i would just <laughs> but then at the same time people that think heavy aggressive timbering is super super ugly so the price is a lot cheaper so mm-hmm. i know i'm probably getting more acres for a better cost 
uh, or a better price. Better price, and there's sunlight there. You can know what the seed bank is. There's probably cover or the cover's coming. I, I always, you know, <laughs> would consider a uh, an, a lot op- more open of a farm than I think a lot of people would um would think that I would want. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? Like some I, of my I, favorite farms we've seen in the open. last year are the ones that are the cheapest because everybody thinks they're ugly. Well, cheapest or or there's just a ton of open ground on them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to me it's it's a blank slate, very manipulable, um, and you can get there pretty quick. So I, I I think those those types of farms from a recreational standpoint of what we're talking about with these goals. Um, one of the biggest one of the biggest frauds we have is is that you have to have Big timber to grow big deer. Done. So, False. Anyway, hopefully everybody, uh, hopefully everybody enjoyed this. Um, I hope it shoot us a, shoot us an inv- uh, an email invoice. Or, uh, no, don't do that. Yeah, <laughs> shoot us an uh, email or a message about what your dream farm is. Well, and I, I hope that it it helps everyone or slows people down um, potentially to stop and consider their goals, what they're what they're shooting for on their property, and uh, maybe it maybe it allows you you know further encouragement. Hey, you're in the right direction, or maybe slow down and and reconsider, reevaluate what it is that you're um, looking for to get to get out of your property. So, um, anyhow, hope everyone enjoyed it, and uh, we'll share it and um, send some reviews in.